You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the raven too comes from the green dragon. Hello and welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm Jeremy and we've got an action-packed and full episode today. Today I'm going to go through many, many things and I hope you're ready for it. Some of it's going to be a little bit controversial, some of it's going to be a little bit exciting and th- there's some real news going around uh, the Middle Earth community, so that's, that's always interesting. We've got talk about a new box set, so the Palinor Fields box set comes out. I'll go give my opinion on that and if there's anyone that's been living under rock, they can hear about that a little bit. Uh, we've got our ring bearer, Lee. Leaving, not leaving the company, getting a different job, and uh, so congratulations to Adam for for moving to the Warhammer community more. Uh, it's going to leave a little bit of a void, so I'll talk about that as well. Of course, got the Masters tournament that was just recently. We've had quite a few events recently with Silmarilli and Masters, so I'll talk about my Masters experience and what I brought, and some game recaps and the results and all that sort of fun stuff. If you like hearing about games. I'll try and keep the games, just the interesting parts as well. I don't want to go on forever about it. And I only really remember the interesting parts anyway, so that's pretty good. Then we had a massive battle. The Green Dragon team played a 2,250-point game uh, based around the Battle of Five Armies with all my miniatures on a very nice board. I'll talk about that game and and what we did. I put up lots of photos on the Facebook page about that, so feel free to check them out. That was really enjoyable and and great fun and a great, great variation to the game. And finally, I'll finish up with the listener questions that I've I've put up on our Facebook page as well. So I'll answer some listener questions as honestly as I can, of course. And I think some of them are making some army lists, so there might be a couple army lists as well. We'll see how they go. There might be some questions popping up just as I record. So if people got in time, they'll get answered. So thank you for those listener questions again. It's good to get the, the material to talk about and hear about what you want to talk about, I guess. And it does help us as presenters. Well, me just today. Me only. Uh, I was going to get some others on, but there's just so much to talk about. I needed to get this recording out and, and be able to move on because I don't think the news is going to stop very much. So I don't mind doing the recording on my own. I hope that that's enjoyable for you. And here we go. Firstly, it was announced at the Forge World Open Day that the in I don't know if it's around August or maybe just afterwards, I don't know if that was speculation, but there is definitely a new box set for Lord of the Rings. It's got a new rule book, which looks very nice. The box cover looks very nice, of course. It's about the Battle of Palinor Fields. The contents is a new Theoden on horse with uh, also the foot model that corresponds to it. It's got on the good side, I believe, and I'm, I'm, I'll go off what I've heard on rumors, and I'm not 100% accurate. I haven't seen the set myself, of course. 12 Riders of Rohan, 12 Warriors on foot, uh, 20 Army of the Dead, I believe. I believe it's 20. It might be 24, but I think they come in packs of 10. I, yeah, I could look that up, but I haven't bothered doing that. I'm sorry about that. And then on the evil side, we've got a Nazgul and Fell Beast, which is, they've said the Witch King. Uh, we don't have a foot model for that. So just itself, so it's the plastic, plastic Nazgul kit. And we've got 36 Moranon Orcs, uh, which are models of varying quality. They're, the only new model is the Theoden. The rest are old models that have come out at various times. And the rulebook, of course, is new as well. It looks like it's the hardback rulebook in the in the box set, which is really good. That's to, going with what's been happening lately in sort of games like Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, where they put the hardback rulebook, haven't printed a separate one with a soft cover, which is... That's a real positive. That To be able to get the full rulebook is a huge benefit. So my initial reaction to this set, I was 
Look, we had heard rumors about this. We knew a starter set was coming. So the initial reaction was to the contents rather than to the announcement of a starter set because we knew the starter set was coming. I was a bit disappointed to start with. I'll say that straight out, and I've made that clear when I've discussed this with people and, and who I've talked to, mainly because I was hoping that we would get, at the very least, a decent amount of stuff for the experienced players to get new purchases. There's a lot of models in the Lord of the Rings range that are showing their age a little bit that could be updated. There's a lot of models that have disappeared from sale that could be replaced with different versions, plastic versions. And what I was really hoping, I was realistic that we weren't going to get an entirely new set, uh, but I was really hopeful that we would get a mixture of plastic heroes, like a sprue. So similar to like the Escape from Goblin Town, Thorin's Company sprue, or the Mines Moria troll and fellowship sprues i was hoping to get something like that that was new so i thought it'd be similar to the mines of moria where we got some old sprues and then some new sprues for the for the key heroes of the palinor fields which is quite a few key heroes in palinor fields instead we got one new sprue uh, i don't know how big the sprue is but i guess it's pretty small with just the one model horse and 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 foot version, of course. Like the, It is actually two physical figures. You never have them on the board at the same time unless you convert one up for something else. But that, that is what it is. I'm not trying to, to undersell it or oversell it. That's, that's what we get. You get the one new model. And it's a nice-looking model. The, the rider especially looks really nice. I'm not 100% convinced on the foot model yet. But I'm sure that will... Once I've seen it, I'm sure I'll be able to do something with a paint job and make it look pretty good. So that I'm looking forward to that model. But I was disappointed in the contents in that I was hoping, given we know now the contents of the set, I would have loved to have a sprue with Theoden, with uh, a Witch King on foot, with a couple Moranilor captains, or maybe one Moranilor captain, a Moranilor command group, so a banner bearer, maybe a drum or a horn or something like that, uh, a Rohan banner that can go on top of the, the horse. The horses are really dated, those Rohan horses. Uh or and a foot Rohan banner bearer. I would have loved something like that, and it would have justified the purchase a lot more. Now, that said, we don't have the official price yet, but if it is the same price as the Warhammer Fantasy or Warhammer 40,000 box, at least in Australian prices, I don't know about rest of the world prices, it, it is a good deal, straight out. Uh, the rulebook itself will probably cost as much as half the box. So if you bought the rulebook separately, which I think is a little bit overpriced, but if you bought the rulebook separately, it would be about half the box. So you're talking about half the money. In Australia, that's about $220, which is a lot of money, but it's you get a lot of stuff. Uh, it is much, much cheaper than, than you'd buy if you bought all those things separately. Assuming you wanted them all separately, of course. I didn't think there'd be a huge amount of people going, oh, you know what? I really, really, really want those uh, Rohan models from 2002. Those are the ones I really want. Might have even been 2000, end of 2001. I think it was end of 2001. 17 and 16 year old model, 16 probably. Let's be, let's be realistic and not try and exaggerate it too much. Uh, 16 year old models as sort of the key players, they are good models. There's no doubt about it. Those Rohan models, the foot and horse versions, especially at the time, were fantastic. But Games Workshop can do so much more now, so much more. Like their new plastics are phenomenal. Some of the other stuffs in other ranges have been really, really good. I do look forward to the Theoden to see what that's like. But the the technology they've got now is just miles ahead of what it was. The Rohan cavalry, the spears and the legs of the horses, and that were incredibly fragile. Um, I doubt the molds have been retooled. I think it's just the same ones. So you probably have the same issues there. If you do assemble them, if you're brand new, make sure you get some other rocks and things for the horses to stand on. Some of them only have contact points for one hoof or two hooves. You've got to have more than that. That doesn't work. You need to have probably three horse legs on the ground. It doesn't work otherwise. You've got to have those contact points. Otherwise, your models will snap. The Army of the Dead, not bad models. 
the Army of the Dead, pretty good models. Uh, will you need a lot of them? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not that concerned about that. Like, the context of the box set is subjective in the armies. So it does fit the theme for Palinor Fields. I've got no problem with that in there. And they're nice models. And, and look, I've got enough Army of the Dead, but I'm sure I could use them for something else. The Nazgul has really nice wings. The, sorry, and the fell, on Fell Beast. I'm torn between the old metal one and the new one. I feel like if they made a combination of the body of the old metal and the wings and the new one, it would be perfect. But it's actually a pretty good model. So getting more of those is not a problem. Obviously, there's a maximum of nine you want to use, but... You can convert up the riders to be different things, and it comes with two riders if it's the same set. So that's a pretty good set. The Moranian Lorks vary in quality quite a lot. Some of them are really nice. Some of them are absolutely hideous, and that was that's what you got with the plastics. You got a mixture of them. Um, some of them, are, it's because they've gone for single pieces for most of them, or maybe even all of them. I think some of the spears were separate. You got some really weird undercuts. So some of the things, like you've got like a bunch of plastic under the shield. So those sort of things, nowadays you wouldn't get that. You would get them doing as two separate pieces. It would clip together really well, and you wouldn't get that issue. So that's a bit of a dated one. I've heard lots and lots of comments about that, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the, the discourse back and forth, and I'm not trying to misrepresent anyone, of course, and I will try to, to represent what I've said as well, because... Um, I know that some people got a bit annoyed about things that I said as well, so I'll address that and stay with me, listener, and hopefully you you can hear me out. I, I don't expect you to agree with me, quite frankly, because we're different people. So feel free to disagree. That's no big issue. Uh, feel free to call me names if you wish. I've been called worst, I'm sure, so that does an issue as well. There's been name-calling, which I find sort of cute. It's just... Um, especially on the um, Facebook uh, GBHL forum, because they don't allow swearing. Like, there's only so much you can do for name-calling, so uh, it doesn't quite work so well. First of all, I've heard the comment that it's a starter set, it's for new players, which is fine. Like the, I, I get that, and new players probably don't care that they're old models. Um, it would be nice to have slightly better quality models, but the quality itself is good enough, and for for someone who doesn't know the range, it's probably fine, absolutely. If someone doesn't have those models, it's probably fine as well, because it looks like it might potentially be a very good deal. So if someone was, say, looking at getting Morana at some point in the future, this would be perfect for them. Get some new rulebook, get some new army, they're all happy. My thought is, it could have so easily been good for everyone. So those people would not have... Like, if we got some new Spruce with some new models on them, more than just the Theoden, would those people who like the set be upset? Probably not, unless it was a significant drop in models, I guess. I can't imagine anyone complaining that there's new banners in the, the kit or new captains in the kit, or a captain conversion set, or whatever. They, I can't see anyone getting upset about that. Maybe. Maybe. If you are, feel free to get upset about that. So for a lot of us who've been playing for a while, that was a bit of a letdown. There's also a precedent set. The box sets that Games Workshop have been putting out recently have been fantastic. The latest Warhammer one was amazing. All new models, uh, new rulebook, hardback rulebook in there. The value looks there. It looks really, really tempting and appealing. The Ford, Warhammer 40,000 one, same thing. All the new models, those ones, it's like down to aesthetics if you like the models or not. That's always the case. But all new models. Then for Lord of the Rings to come out and have one new model, it feels a bit like a letdown. And that's partly because of expectations. I was expecting us to get more. I didn't expect them to go back to the, the re-box. It's got the most old models of any box set we've, we've ever got in Lord of the Rings. Mine's Amori was the only one in the past that's... Uh, reprise models, got the same old models, the Moria Goblins, and that was a bit of a letdown for, for that set, and the plastics in that set were pretty rubbish, uh, but it felt like a letdown because of that and compared to what they've been doing. I 
made some comments. Um, one of the comments, and I'll go straight to the probably the most controversial one because that's that's what we will talk about. Was that um, I said it looks like they're not trying to sell them. So of course that was met with absolute disdain, and and it's going to sell fantastically well and all that sort of stuff. And it might, and if it does, that's great. Um, but my thoughts is throughout the history of this game. Sometimes I haven't been convinced that they're they're trying to to push as much and sell as much and get as much models out there. And I'll give a few examples. Uh, firstly, at the Hobbit release, it was amazing how quickly they dropped the line and how quickly they started to shut up shop, even during the movies. So either they set targets so ridiculously high that it was almost impossible to meet, or there was something going on in the background. Maybe some parties weren't as interested in it as the others. Maybe some some disagreements with the people who own the license or whatever, but it felt like that they weren't really pushing the game. The fact that you've sort of almost gave us an incomplete game at that point, and the reason it came back was just the volume of sales, makes me wonder a little bit about that. Uh, the pricing structure that came out of The Hobbit was was absurd. Like I don't know about the West of the World price, but when The Lord of the Rings came out in 2001, it was, for us, $27 for 24 plastic models, which was, at the time, a bargain. And still would be a bargain, of course. That was really appealing to a wide audience. You've got these movie models. They're not the best models in the world, but they're dirt cheap. So people bought them by the bucket load and made a fortune for Games Workshop. We've seen the financial statements. It made big money. Big money. Much more than it does now. And then, by by the time The Hobbit came out, sort of 11, 12 years later or whatever, it was $55 for one plastic sprue. So instead of the two plastic sprues with the 24 models, we had one plastic sprue of 10 to 12 models. And we're talking about basically each model being four times as much. So that's a significant increase. I've heard people blame that on the licensing, but I can't imagine the people who own the license saying, you must put the models at this price. I, I can't imagine that. There's There's got to be something else. And it felt like they were going for, let's just make maximum profit on very, very low sales, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems to be like a shoot yourself in the foot too conservative way of marketing it. And look, I'm not a business person, so maybe that's standard practice. You make something, a luxury item, you sell it for such a high markup and you don't need to sell many of them. That could be it. But I feel like when you're making plastic sets, you want to be selling a lot of them because they cost you nothing to make once you've got the mold up and running. So the, the initial batch is really expensive and then it gets really cheap the more you put out to the point where they almost cost you nothing at all, like dollars, cents, whatever it is. I'm not sure of the exact amount, but it's not much. So that concerned me, those sort of actions. The fact that for at least 15 months, they didn't give a single release during the end of the Lord of the Rings time, um, the way that War of the Ring was released and we didn't get any corresponding uh, value sets. We needed hundreds of models all of a sudden, but... They jacked up the price of the models and didn't give us any value out of that. Um, oh, sorry, I, I should go back to the other one. Um, the, the instant comeback for me is, what about inflation? And I've heard people say that. Look, I understand inflation. I've got a maths background. I know about inflation. What we could expect is about a generation things to double in price. So about 28 years for normal rates of inflation. So double the price. We've had that for 18 years now. We're probably up by... 70% of the original price by now would be reasonable. So my old $27 box set would be 45 Okay, but it's it's instead over double that. So the, it's it's sort of a rate of, of extreme inflation. It's not a rate of normal inflation. It's not at the hyperinflation level, of course, but it is much higher than normal. So I am factoring inflation in that. And in Australia, most of our other stuff like, has doubled about from 28 years ago. That's I remember those prices because I'm a little bit older now, and it does seem consistent. Like most stuff that you buy has essentially doubled in price, 
big notable exception, of course, is houses, um, because they've we've had a hugely inflated market there, and of course, Games Workshop Lord of the Rings miniatures. But that, that is what it is. So I was a bit concerned about that. So saying it's great value, comparing that massive markup in price, it's a good, it's a step in the right direction, but it's not as appealing to someone who's been around for for those lower prices. I'm also not convinced that they're going to really push the game either. I feel like in terms of investment, there's been a very minimal investment in this version of the starter set. And that's probably probably safe for them that they're not going to throw away a lot of money and it keeps them in business and all that sort of stuff. But they've paid for the cost of one new model, so one new sprue and a new book, which is exactly the amount of items that are new in the Get Started Playing Warhammer magazine. Not the actual game, just an actual magazine which has an exclusive plastic miniature and a publication. Now, I'm sure the Lord of the Rings rulebook is more expensive. So, um, and I'm not sure about the miniature. I don't know if it is or not. But even then, it seems like such a minimum. And those old molds cost them nothing to print, which is fine. Like, it gives us some good value and gets the models on the table. And it's got a good quantity of models. But I, I would have preferred something different. Now, that said, it could also be straight out that they just needed to rush something out. Because it does take a long time to plan and release plastic models. So, it could well be that, like, the Hobbit ones got cut after they had started producing them so they just finished off and produced the ones that were already in progress they'd already made the decision to to wind that down and it could be that this one they they had to maybe the small ones are able to get done quickly so maybe there was a time constraint i don't know if someone wants to tell me they, they're welcome to but if you're going to tell me make sure you've got some facts to it because only i get to speculate no no that's fine if you want to if you know something let me know of course but look it, the game itself could be more Am I against new players? So this I got accused of being against new players because of it. I got accused of being like um, basically putting a negative tone to it all. No, of course I'm not against new players. Look, having wanting different models in the box set does not mean I'm against the box set. It does not mean that other there won't be people who really like the box set. It doesn't mean I want them to cancel the box set or anything like that. I do wish they would go all out in Lord of the Rings and Hobbit and Middle Earth. I feel it's a really lucrative license. It could push them that. There's going to be a renewed interest in it coming up to with um, Amazon's TV series. It's one of those licenses that that is really long, and, and people have copied whole games on The old Warhammer game was essentially Tolkien and, and Moorcock put together. So there is... People like that universe. I wish they'd go more into it because they've got the license. They're keeping the license from other people doing it, which is okay because I like I like what Games Workshop does. But yeah, I just just wish that they went say all in and just said let's let's make this big. And I don't think they're going to do that. And I think part of it could be speculation, of course, that they don't want to put people off their other licenses, the ones that are exclusively theirs, the Warhammer, the Warhammer 40,000, the ones that they license out to others. So it could be, I feel like some of the, some of the reason they have the Middle Earth license is just to stop a competitor having it, which is legitimate business practice. You, you get a license so that no one else can get it. Um, but I, hope, I just wish it was back to more than that as well. But it's on the right direction. And if we keep buying and, and going forth, it, it might get up to that again. It might. Probably won't, but it might. Now, will I get the box set? Probably. Probably. I've thought about it for a while. The miniatures themselves, the only one that I really want is the Theoden. The rest, I don't really care about, yes or no. I would, if someone gave me a good offer for them, I might move them on. I could definitely make use of another Fell Beast for some conversions, and I don't think I have nine of them, so it could be used in a game. The Moran and Orcs, enough of them are good that I wouldn't mind putting them down. I think a few of their heads might get chopped off and replaced, and that's fine. And that's, that's all good, so maybe some mass battles there. The Rohan will probably sit in the box and maybe use it to replace my broken ones. The Army of the Dead, I might be able to convert into uh, some Dunland or Khandum or other men. 
I've got enough Army of the Dead, I think. But who knows? They might change it so that Army of the Dead becomes like a Horde army. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Someone knows. Look, that's, that's a good thing. Um, the rule book I'm nervous about because I don't know what's going to be in it. And that's always the case of a new system. I like the game. Uh, the game's pretty good at the moment. There's a few things I'll fix, but the vast majority of it's really good. So I'm a bit nervous about that. Is it going to be really scenario-based? I don't know. I hope so. I hope the Palinor Field box set has a Palinor Fields campaign and with all the new models in it and with, with that sort of stuff. I know that there's going to be a, an army list for Lord of the Rings book, which I'm looking forward to because I, some of those profiles need to be updated. I hope that there's not the same amount of copy and pasting that was done in the last one, but there might be. A lot of them, they probably wouldn't bother redesigning. I hope there's no real major rule changes except the ones that I like. But I can always play old editions of rules, so I'm realistic about that as well. And I do still for scenarios. So that's my thoughts on that. Am I being too harsh? Maybe. Am I against new players? No. Am I happy that some people like the box set? Absolutely. That, I'm over the moon about that. I hope it sells really well. I hope it does really well. And I hope that, that people hear, that the people who are complaining about it hear that as well and think, okay, if we ever have to do another one, maybe we'll look at another option. At least investigate it. So I hope that's the case. I'm sure that we'll get a few box sets amongst the Green Dragon crew. I don't know if we'll all get them. It really depends on how much it costs and how much we value the middle miniatures in it. It might be that they end up being dirt cheap. The Rohan you can already pick up for almost nothing. So I imagine those models will, will go down in value a little bit, which means if you want them, you pick them up a bit cheaper, which is good. Uh, the rule books, you only need so many of them, but the way, the way we damage them, I guess, wouldn't hurt to have some more. Yeah, overall, overall positive. Um, just wish there was different models in the box set, but that's okay. That's I can live with it. I'm not. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I am really looking forward to the the forgeord ones that are coming out. The Dol Amroth. Finally, we get some good Dol Amroth, and the the Gondor heroes. They look really nice. So I'm happy with those. Those are going to look really good, and I'm sure that that's going to continue. I hope they don't abandon the Hobbit line entirely. I hope we get a troll catapult at some point because it puts a big hole in the range if they don't finish off those books, and that can be a concern because. I... <laughs> As we've already found out, it's very easy for staff to change and directions to change and suddenly that's no longer a priority and then it's no longer released. That's enough of that. Now let's move on to the sad news. Adam Troke, who's been a stall to the game for maybe even since the start, but pretty close to it early on. I know he was hugely involved in the, the essentially the second edition of the rules, the big uh, blue book, and he's been involved since then. He's moving on to a different job in the company. He put up a Facebook post explaining that, advertising his job, which is incredibly weird. I can't imagine advertising my own job uh, while I'm still in it. I feel that's 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 unusual. I do, yeah, I don't don't see that happening a lot. He did say it was a strange post. Um, there was nothing but positive, all the stuff there, and some people were interested in the job, which is all good. Uh, uh, I'm sure someone will get the job and be good. I'm not I'm not that concerned with the direction the game's going. From what uh, Jay and Adam have put out in terms of publications, there's been some really good stuff. The There and Back Again book was fabulous from my point of view. There's so many scenarios. They really completed the story. They actively tried to complete the movies, which I know some people don't like, but just change the miniatures then, get different, get some historic models, play them with that, do whatever you like. But those scenarios overall were very good. There were some that I didn't like, and that's just probably down to a play style more than anything. Uh, but overall, very good. I hope they complete that book. Um, the Battle Companies book, which is was really well done. It wasn't my favorite because Battle Companies is not my favorite. I much prefer the scenarios over the Battle Companies. 
the whole sort of leveling up and keeping track of that appeals to me for a little while. And then once it turns into one person gets a phenomenal army and you're stuck with two heroes dead and one guy with a broken arm and all this sort of stuff, it's, it, it sort of loses the appeal for me a little bit. But that's me personally. Some of our other players love it and that's fine. But the book was well done. It was, it was good. So, and it's good to have another way of playing. So the publications that come up have presented so far have been really good. So I don't see why that wouldn't continue. I know that the Jays put out some scenarios in the White Dwarf, which I quite liked. They were tough, but I liked them. The little Radagast one and Witch King fighting... Um, who was he fighting? Witch King fighting Radagast, of course. Both Radagast scenarios. And there was also some other ones as well that were very much based on the movie. That makes me happy. So I'm not worried so much. And Adam's still going to be in the company. So if someone wants to ask his advice, I'm sure he would give it. Unless he's got out of Lord of the Rings because he secretly doesn't like it, which is... Definitely not the case, I'm sure. The only thing I can really add here is thank you to Adam for all his work and a little anecdote about the time that uh, Adam came to Australia for one of our early tournaments. This was a funny time because it was the time when the the Fellowship book and the new Blue Rule book came out just after the movie. about 2005, I believe. The game was just starting to die down from its absolute peak. We were getting like 30 to to 60 people at tournaments in that time and then he came over and the one he came over for we actually had eight players and then I think only six of them showed up because some of them were sick so it was a really low turnout but he came in and I chatted to him and I showed him my Shire board because uh, he had written Scaring of the Shire which I loved I loved that scenario book so I made the Battle of Bywater board and I brought it in and got into Scribbly's name on it and, and he did that which was very nice for me as a as a relatively new player Not I've played since the start but it was a bit of a buzz to have the designer go and sign that. And I talked to him and he showed me the, the rule book, the blue book of the time and the fellowship book. And we immediately found out there was no army of the dead. And he was really upset about that in the disappointed because he knew he had written it, but for some way in the editing or the presentation or whatever, those pages got lost. And that was frustrating to him because I imagine when, well, I, I'm putting words in his mouth, of course, but your book's perfect until someone tells you otherwise. So that first sort of error or mistake that you get told of, it's probably pretty disheartening and and look he had absolute passion for the game then and and it was great to talk to him and and we had fun and and it wasn't it was it was a short meeting and I wasn't uh doing anything particularly different to anyone else then I was a decent painter and he liked my models and um the fact that I played the scenarios and I'm sure that that would be heartening because the scenarios are such an important part of the game so hopefully it comes back to Australia at some point, or hopefully the other team come back to Australia and, and we'll, the, the terrain's much better now, the models are much better now, we've got a really good community, so that would be good if they did, and we're, we're famous for podcasting, of course. So thank you, Adam, uh, a bit sad that you're moving on, but things change. Um, my only real concern is that, is there going to be a change in direction in, okay, maybe we don't finish off the Hobbit book. Maybe we don't ever give you the the champions riding the chariot. Maybe we don't give you the troll catapult. Maybe we don't get bats. Um, I hope not because part of me says it doesn't matter because an alternative company will, will go and do it. And that's true. But it also, like you get all kinds of issues. Some people don't like playing with them. The conversions, like Forge does a fantastic job. Most of the time they do a better job than than I can do. So you get better models the other way. There's a bunch of scenarios that we can't play just yet with the models that are available. Some of them require minor conversions. I can do a Goat Rider Captain. That's easy enough. I could do some of the others. Can I do a Troll Catapult? I don't even know what base size it's on. I actually suspect it's going to be on like a dragon base and be be crouched down and be quite big. But I don't know. I don't know. So that that's my biggest concern, but it's not a big concern. Like everything's going to be fine. So I'm not too worried about that. And we'll see. Sometimes, look, it could be amazing. It could end up being 
being a fantastic person. I hope it is. I hope it's someone really good. I got asked once whether I would do the job. The answer is a resounding no. Firstly, I'm not in the UK, so it's probably not possible. Secondly, I don't really want to make my work my hobby and vice versa. And thirdly, I've already got a very good job and, and I'm happy and I'm, I'm settled. So I definitely wouldn't do that. I would would by all means help out with, with other stuff. Like if I got appointed to a playtest team at some point in the future, I'd happily do that. I haven't been doing that in the past. I haven't done it before. Um, no one's asked me. I don't know how to apply and I'm not that fast. Like I'm happy to just be a player and I'm happy to provide criticism when I think something needs to be criticized and positive feedback when it needs to be positive. So I'm I'm happy that I'm just a normal person. I don't necess- I don't want to make this my my job. That's why I don't do commission painting. That's why we don't ask for any money whatsoever for the Green Dragon podcast. We don't do advertising. We don't do Patreon, which means I can just drop it at the drop of a hat if I don't feel like doing it, which is good. Good for my lifestyle. to the Masters event. Kylie from the podcast ran our Australia Masters this year for the fifth time in a row. Uh, this was my fourth Masters. Last year I didn't go because I was overseas. Um, and she runs a very good event. This year the attendance was down a bit. I think there was a few reasons for that. One, I think um, competitive tournaments are down a little bit because of just anticipation for the, the new edition coming out. People know it's coming out. So you're in that weird time where should you go competitive or like just wait and, and that sort of stuff. And there's also a lot of people who got some sicknesses and all that sort of stuff around. So we had quite a few people pull out. So it was a pretty, pretty low attendance, quite frankly. But we still had some couple of people from Sydney come down. So Andrew and Ben made the trip, which is great. And we had some good local players. And we had enough that we got different people each round and... Um, we had fun. It was it was a bit of an intimate event, which was good as well because we got some scenarios on the Saturday night. Now, I took a gun to bad list. I was going to take dwarves, but I tried out my army once, played one practice game with my army, and it was too gun liney for me. Like, I wanted a maneuverable dwarf army, so I didn't take the chariot. I took some crossbows, and I took some goat riders and some uh, warriors, and I ended up standing still to maximize the crossbows, which I didn't want to play. I wanted to move. I wanted to be involved that way. I feel like if your army's not moving a lot, you're not really experiencing the game as much. And sometimes I don't mind playing that. And from a story point of view, it's fine. But I didn't want to just stand still and roll dice. So I swapped it out for the Gundabad because I really enjoy that. I took a very similar army list that I was going to take up to Sydney when my plane got cancelled. And it was three Gundabad or captains. So very generic because I've done the Bolg before. Uh, um, uh, this is 800 points. So three Gundabad or captains. One of them gets the Master of Battle because I took just Gundabad. I had nine Berserkers. One of them had a two-handed weapon. I had three Warbats using my Warhammer Felbats. I had a Gundabad Troll, a Troll Brute, and 20, I think, Gundabad Orcs. One of them had a banner uh, with a mixture of just shield and spear and shield because I think for a tournament, like you might as well just point out the points to get Defense six, half the time it's good, half the time it doesn't matter, but for the time it's good, it's good. And I, I do shield a lot. I shield a lot with this army because my berserkers do most of the work and the, the warriors stand in place. Yes, yes, so that's what it had. Kylie convinced me at the last minute to take the Gundabad troll because I wasn't going to. I was going to take an ogre, but um, I'm actually very happy I took the troll, quite frankly. So we had six games. 
So the first game I played against Ben with a very nice Wood Elf army, actually. It was, and it was quite well designed. It had um, the Galadriel, the new one, is she Lady of Light. I can't remember the Seaweed Galadriel, the one that's got the banished spirits, which didn't do anything against me because I didn't have any spirits, and it can stop shooting, which didn't do anything against me because I don't have any shooting. And uh, Thrandall, who causes terror, which did a lot against me, and Galadriel gets a neg one to it, I believe. And Legolas and Gildor and a bunch of the two plus to shoot ones with throwing weapons. Um, it was it was a pretty good list. But we're playing a scenario where we had to go across the board, capture the opponent's objectives, beat them up, and then they would appear on our, our side. So we got an objective marker. It had defense six and two wounds. You had to wound it. Um, you could use your special strikes, but you couldn't use like knockdowns or anything like that, which is a bit strange. I found it really weird to be like fainting against the door or an objective. Like you, you go to do your sword shot, quickly remove it, go somewhere else, and that helps you wound it. But that's that's what it was. That was the rules. So we had to do that. And I was able to push past the Berserkers and the Bats on the flank did a fantastic job of that. I lost my Troll Brute first turn to throwing weapons. Like about six throwing weapon guys did three wounds to it, which is a bit of a long shot, but it happened. And then Legolas spent a point of might to finish it off, uh, which was a little bit disheartening because I thought the Troll Brute would be really fun to run over elves. But during the game... I managed to, to pick up Legolas's flank with the Berserkers and, and a captain and some bats and things. They did a really good job. And the Gundabad troll was phenomenal. It actually killed both Thranduil and Galadriel. It was really good. And w- I've got the Scythe one. I was going at it with two, two plus to wound uh, because you get plus one for the Scythe. I'm strength seven against defense five or defense three. So three plus to wound goes to a two plus. And because I hate elves... I was re-rolling ones, which is about the best wounding you could do in the game. So over a couple turns, it was just able to whittle them down and destroy them with its fight seven. So that one overachieved. Like, no, not, maybe not overachieved. It did really well. Oh, I had a banner which got killed really early. But overall, I got quite a big win in that game and, and things went my way. Wood Elves don't like to be in combat one-on-one against Gundabad Orcs. Like, and I know that. So I managed to make sure that that happened quite a lot. So that was that was a good game, and Ben was a good player, but I don't think he pushed my objectives enough. He sort of tried to... He started forward and tried to go backwards slowly, and I've got a bit of speed. Like, the Berserkers can move 8 inches, the Bats move 12 inches, so I was able to catch him and put pressure on, and um, I did lose my Troll Brute, but everyone else did okay. So big win there. I don't remember the score. I'm not going to give you scores for every game. I'll just tell you if it's a big win or a big loss or a small win or whatever. Then I played against Matt with a list that basically... Um, is perhaps a potential for an Articon list. Cough, cough, cough. Um, it was three gun, uh, three hunter orc heroes. So Azogunwag, uh, Yasneg, Nazgul, Nazgul. Sorry, Nazug, Nazgul. That's a different thing altogether. Uh, Fimble and a generic captain on Wag, and then a bunch of hunter orcs on foot. Like lots of them. It was one where we come on randomly. Uh, we alternate warbands, but still you can be out of position quite a bit, and we had to run to the middle. And there was heaps of points in the middle. Like, you had to get the middle to win the game. There was also a little objective in the middle that you had to get. So, uh, basically, my brute came on, stomped a bunch of hunter orcs. So, I think it killed five hunter orcs in a stomp over two turns. At that point, uh, Azor came on next to it. So, I committed more warbands nearby to try and take out the hunter orcs and break them quickly. Uh, And then Matt committed more and maybe put a couple that were going to the objective on the other side of the board. So, I had my whole army against the hunter orcs. And I was doing really well at first. Azog took a couple turns to take down the Brute, which was really good for me. And meanwhile, my Gundabads were doing really well. But I was getting the Hundrawks close to break, and I had to go for the objective. So I had to basically abandon my attacking formation 
and then just run the berserkers and everyone else towards the objective and the Gundabad troll as well. Um, I lost my my master battle captain. He got killed on full stats by a surrounded Yazneg with equal fight value. It was one of those phenomenal rolls type things because I had surrounded him with a bunch of berserkers. I didn't strike up. Um, in the end, it still, still would have been a roll-off because Matt probably would have struck up as well. But oh, that was that was embarrassing, and that was going to be going towards the objective. So that I was up against it there. But the berserkers and the troll really did their job. They went up to the objective. They took down the hunter orcs that were there. Um, as I said, Azog was slowed down enough that he took long enough to get the objective. That um, I was able to head him off with the Gundabad troll. Uh, Azog was out of mind at that point, so it was a roll off against the Gundabad troll, and the Gundabad troll decided to to destroy Azog. Didn't kill the Warg, but killed Azog. So at the moment, the Gundabad trolls killed Thranduil, uh, Galadriel, and Azog. So <laughs> good turnaround. I managed to get an actual pretty big win on that one because Matt's army just disappeared. It was... I didn't expect that, actually. I thought Matt was outplaying me for a while, but just staying in it really helps. And the courage of the Berserkers was so good because in the end game, they were able to stay on the objectives and the Hunter Orcs were not able to do that. So that was game two. So two big wins. So started off really well. Then I was up against Josh, who ran Silmarilli, with a Rivendell Knight army, which is really powerful, on a river board with lots of rivers, like like rivers all over the board. So he had such good movement and I didn't. In a scenario with basically random hidden objectives, you had six objectives to choose from, you end up with three of them. They're all, they're either kill, hold your, hold your model count down, so just prevent yourself being breaking or break the opponent, assassinate their heroes, keep your heroes alive, or go for one of the, well, two of the four objectives, or maybe even four of the four objectives. Two of them are mine, two of them are, are his. So it's a bit of a random game, but you can predict what the opponent's doing. Oh, no, there was another one as well. You had to run, um, infiltrate the enemy lines, so run into their, their lines. So I got um, capture some objectives. So it was capture, I can't remember if it was mine or his. I think it was my objectives. And uh, run across the board, and it was kill heroes. So I had to do those things against Rivendell Knights. So I thought, look, I can't control where the fight happens, but I can control where the objectives are. So I made sure all the objectives were close together in a little line across the board. And I thought, I'm going to run into his deployment zone to so get as many guys in there, get as many points there. And Josh is going to have to engage me at some point. So I did that. It went pretty well. My bats and berserkers managed to take off a few Rivendell Knights at the side. Um, Josh took some unnecessary risks to try and kill my heroes um, because he had to kill the heroes, I learned in hindsight, um, including Alrond botched a key combat and then spent some might on Elrond that he shouldn't have and then I was able to uh, use my troll to go kill Elrond. So that that really helped me because I didn't actually think I'd get Elrond. So I, I had thought that I wouldn't get that objective at all but I managed to get that. Um, so everyone was alive except for a Rivendell Knight Captain. The game ended before I thought it would. I thought it lasted 10 turns but it lasts 10 turns or until one force is reduced to 25%. So I didn't get maximum points but we got pretty close to it. And yeah, I did really well that game. So I was very happy with that one. Kylie at the end of that one said, how did you win that? You shouldn't have been able to win that to me. Um, thinking that Josh had the better force and the better board and the better objectives and all that sort of stuff. And I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and said, yeah, I just did what I could. I think partly it was just my aggressive move put Josh off. He didn't realize that I'll just run my literally my whole army just together in a block straight towards his objective. And when he decided to engage me, I was able to get the priority and just surround him and throw lots of guys into the Rivendell Knights. And I know that that's how you play against Rivendell Knights. If I spread out, I'm dead. So I'll stay together and I'll, I'll go after them and, and manage that, that there was enough objectives on my side that I'll still get points. And then we went out for dinner. That was great fun. And we came back and played uh, one of the scenarios in the there and back again. Um, with Andrew and Ben and Kylie and some of the other people, and that was really good fun. It had the three troll Gundabad trolls and a brute, 
against the remainder of the fellowship. So not fellowship, Thorin's company. The ones the ones who didn't get to go up in the chariot and the goats up the hill. And some Iron Hill Warriors, basically staying alive for ten turns. Uh, Dane was there as well. It was good fun, and it turned out to be a good to the win side with five heroes left compared to to four that had passed away. So really close as well. Great way to to end the day. So that was a really fun day, um, and I was sitting on three wins, which I didn't expect because I still don't think my army list is that strong. Like I've got three generic captains. The troll brute every single game died early on, so Josh managed to kill it early as well. Oh, uh, did he kill it? Yes, I think he did. So it wasn't doing very well, but that's okay. Yes, I think Elrond, one of the things he did was go kill the Troll Brute, which is fine. So he was he was a bit of a waste, but everyone else was doing pretty well. Then on day two, I started up against David, and I was worried about it because David's army scared me so much. He had a Harrod Horde with a flying Nazgul, I think it was the Betrayer, and Saladin, and all this sort of stuff, and lots of shooting and, and a scary army. We played, once again, the same go-kill-the-opponent's-objectives. Um, he was going a little bit at the objectives. I was a bit more aggressive there. I was pushing forward. I managed to jump my bats over the back of the lines and start hacking the objective in the background. Once again, my troll brute died like second turn easily, which is a bit disheartening. Um, at this point, uh, David had basically the superior army. So it was down to very much micromanaging small amounts of my army. So like my master battle captain and some berserkers were holding up one flank and just scaring, intimidating opponent off that. I had one orc, which was just a massive... So good. He was initially involved in the Nazgul's combat, which helped kill the troll brute. Then the Nazgul ran to go kill some objectives in the background. Kill some objectives. Destroy some objectives. And he followed the Nazgul all the way, managing to fight combats with it twice while it was on its way. Once he charged, once the Nazgul charged. Winning both combats. Attempted to wound at one point because I didn't shield. And... Basically stayed alive the whole time, all the way to the end of the game, watching the Nazgul finally get there on the last turn, having to roll quite reasonable to kill the objective and then doing it easily. So the poor orc got to watch his mission fail, but he survived the whole time. He beat back the Nazgul a few times. It was really impressive. Um, I managed to just win that game with some really tricky plays, some some shielding models off the off the objectives while I hacked at them with my Gundabad orcs and berserkers, the bats flying around the background, reducing combats in certain spots, delaying models, doing all kinds of stuff. And once again, Kylie watched that whole game and she was really, really impressed with me. And, and I think she's forgotten that I can play the game quite well. So she basically, I was down 100 points first turn with my Gundabad troll brute and and it didn't matter to me i ended up ended up winning that game and 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 played pretty well a perfect game quite frankly it was a really good game from my my point of view so it was a small win it wasn't wasn't that small it was a like I had five points or something, but I was on four wins in a row. So doing pretty well, doing pretty well. But then I ran against Henry, who pretty much always beats me. Sometimes I've beaten him, but he's he's hard to fake out because he commits to an, uh, a goal and just does it. Like he's he's very good at just following through with that, even if things go badly, whereas some people will back out. So he's he's solid, solid player, and he knows how to use his Gondor army. I was up against it in this the board and the scenario. It was one of those come on randomly ones, Boromir, Basically, ate up one of my warbands. I only had three warbands. I think he had four. There was a massive river across the length of the board that we had to cross. So basically, my monsters could have gone through it, but they would have been unsupported and easily struck up against and killed. The bridge had an objective on it, which half the size of the bridge, so only like a single cavalry model could get through. So my trolls couldn't go through that. So I was essentially bottlenecked and died essentially to to one or two models on the objective. Managed to get a bit of points because I grabbed the little. Uh, light object off the objective and held onto it with a berserker, but just got whittled down and and lost that one quite convincingly. So 
I thought, oh, okay, look, that was my chance at Masters, but that's okay. I didn't mind. I did pretty well. And I was up against Andrew, who had an army that scared scared me. Um, it was a all-cavalry Harrod army with two Nazgul, the Knight of Umbar and the Betrayer, and Saladin and the Captain, and it was just... A th- just a super powerful army. I basically said to Kylie, begged her, don't put me on the riverboard again because it's it's just going to be a non-game. Like We just might as well finish the game then. So I was lucky enough to get a board with a river, but it was uh, the Harrod board. I got the random objective scenario. Uh, this, the objectives I had to do was to assassinate heroes, which, <laughs> tough, tough, tough. How is we going to catch them? Go jump in the opponent's deployment zone, which is okay. I can do that. And there was, uh, I think, don't be broken or... No, it was... It was something else, something that I, I had a great trouble doing. I can't remember what it was, but my objectives were a lot harder. And Andrew ended up with the old just avoidance objectives, so he avoided me for the ten turn length of the game. Essentially, it was a really close win. I think I only ended up winning by I lo- no, I didn't end up winning. I I only lost by about a point, and I had a chance to win it when my troll spent three turns next to the an isolated knight of Umbar, which was his leader. So if I managed to kill that knight of Umbar, I would have would have had the game. So I played really well in terms of my captains all ra- ran all the way across the board. One got assassinated, but the other two jumped in a tower. And they couldn't be blacked out anymore because Andrew was using a lot of resources, just blacked out heroes and, and just get his points and bank them up. He probably could have dominated against me if he went all in with his cavalry, but he, he was a little bit afraid to. I don't think he wanted to lose points. And in the end, I guess that helped me out quite a bit. And I look, I was a bit down on the game at that point because we didn't really play a game. Like, we didn't engage. When you don't engage, there's an avoidance army avoiding another army, it can be frustrating. There's just not a whole lot you can do, really. It's just just wait to be destroyed. So luckily there was a game limit, I guess. Because in the end of it, Henry, myself, and Andrew got called up to the podium to find out who had won. So we were top three. I didn't expect to, to be the first. I thought maybe I'm second. Maybe, maybe I've done okay. Um, the game against Andrew, I, I know Andrew had a couple losses and I kept it really close. Henry absolutely dominated against me, so I assumed he was ahead of me. So third got called up, Henry. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. Maybe I've got more painting points than Henry, so that was okay. I'm ahead of Henry. So Andrew and I, and then Kylie did this big dramatic, wait, 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 wait. Andrew's won the Masters before. I've never won it. And delay, delay. And in the end, I've just got Andrew. Double Felbies are so dirty. And at that point, Kylie said, second place is Andrew. So I won Masters. Yay. Uh, fourth time trying. First time got Masters. Different different person each of the five years, I believe, as well. So that was really good. I'm, I'm glad I, I won that. And it's the last year it's been in Melbourne for a while. So it's going to be in Sydney next year. So I may or may not be able to come. I hope I can. It depends where they put it. And I also managed to get Best Army as well. So quite the haul. I was very happy with that. And and a bit up about it, especially because I still don't think my army is very good. And correct me if I'm wrong, like, go try the army. You can take my list. It's it's not a guaranteed win at all. Some of those games I think I've played better than I've played for a long time, and I've played pretty well, quite frankly, if I don't say so myself. The game against David and the game against Josh were, were real, real highlights for me. I played those ones to near perfection. So they were good games from my point of view. And I managed to get some points in the other games, which helped me out quite a bit. In terms of my own master's performance... My Numenor one that I did in the first year of Masters was had the first game I lost on like the most obscure of events, Elendil losing combat to a lowly captain with heaps and heaps of Elendil's friends on a game where basically all you had to do was get more kills of your leader. Um, Thomas in that one had a generic Harold captain as his leader and I had Elendil. And I think Elendil ended up with zero kills for the whole game. And the Harrod captain ended up with one. And it was just a, a huge win or something to, to Thomas for that. 
And then I managed to win all my other games and come came second. So that was a good performance with Numenor. I took Gondor one year and played pretty bad. I won half my games. Um, I, I basically got overloaded with heroes. I had the full Boromir with the banner. I had Faramir on horse. I had um, some Osgiliath veterans, and I was going to go all in, but I didn't have enough numbers. Gondor works well with a lot of numbers, and I didn't have them. So it didn't do particularly well. I took uh, Dunland, which was almost a joke at that point, and I did really well with Dun- Dunland. I won five out of my games of Dunland, so that's two already that I'd won five games, and just only one loss, really, and Dunland was, was good, um, and I think I came like fifth or something like that. I didn't get any big wins, though. And then this year, I guess because I got the big wins on the first day, I was able to, to get ahead and then mitigate my not-so-good performance on the second day, but I don't think it was the best I played at Masters, but there would be there was some... Some really good things, and I was and I was very happy to win it. Of course, it was very much an exercise, like the Dunland of of using a list that's probably not optimal to really the best you can. And Gundabad's a good list. Don't don't get me wrong, it's a good list. The Troll Brute, how can I say this nicely? It's rubbish. It's not very good. Um, I I feel like maybe the designers are so worried about its its trample being powerful that they've they've downgraded. But when you get a massive base with fight for defense six and four wounds people can call heroic combats off it like it's not hard to kill at all and it has to get in front and it can be compelled onto my own models it can cause problems it can do all kinds of stuff it's just not a very good model i would i would even if they were the same points i would still take an ogre over a troll brute like it's just not not very good at all Uh, a warband of the the goblin mercs for the same price would have done so much better so that's a, a Merc Captain and about 10 Mercenaries. It would have been so much better. It would have been, would have been huge. Upgrading it to a Gundabad Troll, having another Gundabad Troll, dropping a bat and putting a Troll out, would have been massive. So I think I think I really erred in my army list. I didn't play any practice games with it, so I probably should have. But anyway, uh, learn on the job. And I could definitely improve the list. So I was happy with the result. Very happy with the result. You have to be happy with the result. But um, the argument that if you want a tournament, the list can't be bad... I disagree with. I think it was was a terrible list, quite frankly. Uh, it could have been so much better. I could have dropped the Troll Brute and upgraded the Captain to Bulk. It would have been really strong. So that was a list. That was Masters. Great fun. Thank you so much for running, Kylie. I think that's the last tournament Kylie's running. So she's done a fantastic job. She's been a real pillar of our community and of so many events. So I really appreciate Kylie's work there. And, and the rest of us will just have to up our game and do some work as well, which I guess we can do that. Some of us have got lots of spare time. Some of us don't, but we can all pitch in. I know that Henry, who I talked about before, is running Battle Hardened in December later in the year. And I'm really looking forward to that. So we continue to have a lot of events um, and, and the, the community will still be strong. I know Masters wasn't as well attended as before, but Silmarillion really was huge. So I think New Edition will get a revamp and maybe we just look at how we're running it. Maybe just the pure tournament format isn't the way to go anymore. Maybe we've got to do more narrative, which I'm happy with. I love that. Moving on to the the big game, we wanted to do something different, and I've been talking about a big game for a long time. I wanted to try what it's like to play a very high points game, like two thousand plus points. That was that was my aim. I didn't want to just do like we played a thousand, we played eight hundred. We've never played something really big, so I thought I've got this really really nice connect collection of Battle of Five Armies type stuff. I'm going to put as many of them on the table as possible. So the way I came up with it, because I wrote the army, this was my models, uh, I basically invited people over and I put together a good army and I didn't want it to be all about the Iron Hills Dwarfs 
champions. I wanted to be just about some key heroes and generic warriors. So I took basically my Iron Hills collection, which was Dane, two chariots, uh, six goat riders, uh, banner bearer, 12 dwarf warriors, three crossbowmen, and two captains. I took my Mirkwood collection, Thrandall's Halls. So Thrandall and Elk. Uh, I think it was once again six cavalry, 24-ish Mirkwood warriors, some a couple handful of palace guard and i took the some lake town so two full warbands of lake town including bard and his kids and a captain and just checked out the points so not everyone at battle of fire armies course no bayorn no eagles no gandalf no bilbo but i thought it was enough and it came up to just under 2250 points i thought perfect that's our points level let's play that points level that's a good collection of models so i made an evil side to match so i thought i'll grab my gundabad and i'll take everything i have gundabad so I've got a total of 50 Gundabad Orcs, which, yeah, which is a lot, uh, with two banners in there. I've got four Gundabad Orc Captains, so I put them in. I've got three Gundabad Orc Trolls and a Troll Brute, so they in they went. I've got Azog, in he went, gave him everything. I've got Bolg, gave him everything. I've got uh, nine Berserkers painted up, so they went in. I've got six Bats, so five of them went in to make the points right, and the Warbands the right size. And then I needed some extra points, so I took a... Denizens of Merkle list with um, a bunch of Falwags and some Bat Swarms. So I think it was two Bat Swarms and about eight Falwags in a warband. So we set up, um, I basically used my big table, which is two tables that fold up. Um, and I managed to fit a five foot by six foot tile board on there. So that, that looked really good. Set it up for, I'm um, using my Dolgol door type terrain on the what's essentially the Rohan tile. So no Rohan houses, just the, the board set up with some ruins. And we set up a, a game, we combined two scenarios. So we put in Domination, which is always good fun. And I can't remember what the other scenario was. Fog of War, Fog of War. So you've got like secret hero to protect, secret hero to assassinate, secret terrain piece to capture. So we thought they'll keep people guessing. And then we, we made up a deployment where, because it was a five foot board, if you rolled a one, two or three, you set up between 12 and 24 inches from your board edge. If you rolled a four, five, six, you set up within 12 inches of it. So no one was in that middle 12 inches. And then you could put a warband in reserve and do the, the Goblin Merc rules for coming on on the side of a board. So we just made up that rule at the spot. Uh, the good side put Thrandall and the Merkwood Cavalry essentially in reserve. And the evil side put the Falwags and the Batswan, which was a big mistake because their low courage meant that they took ages to get on. Uh, whereas the elves got on exactly when they want to. Basically, the way the game was set up was that on one flank, the elves and the dwarves had significant numbers, but were against a lot of monsters. So if the monsters did some damage, they would have done some big damage. Uh, basically, the elves and dwarves had to use up pretty much all their might to win that flank. The middle should have been ahead by the Gundabads, but the dwarves did a really admirable job of holding that. They died, but they died slowly. And the lake town was up against it, against the troll brood, a Gundabad troll, a, a warband, and ended up excelling. Like they barred just could not die. Um, the troll brute and the troll took forever to kill a chariot. The highlight of that that flank was one of the kids, I think it was um, Sigrid, fighting, facing off against the Gundabad troll one-on-one and beating the Gundabad troll even being unarmed. It was just that sort of game. I've never seen the good side roll so well. It was just totally, totally one side in the rolls. I think Kylie won all the roll-offs except for one. There was a lot of them. Just effortlessly won all that and we're using the same pools of dice. So it was nothing rigged there. But the game itself was still fantastic because there were so many models that even losing some didn't matter. You still got your wave of guys there. There were parts of the battlefield you owned. There was parts of it you, you were just killing time. We started off with two players per side. Kylie and Nick took the good side and David and I took the evil side. And then Nick had 
had to leave early. So it was Kylie versus David and I just sort of took photos and um, swapped sides, assisted people moving wherever possible and doing minor tasks. So when David was moving, I'm like, David, what do you want, which flank do you want me to do? And I just did the flank and listened to his instructions. And then when Kylie wanted to go, I, I used did Kylie's. Um, Kylie didn't need as much help, of course, because uh, she knew exactly what she was doing. But I did manage to do a few few odd things to keep the pace going. I thought the game was going for a long time, for four hours. That, that's a huge amount of time for a game. But according to listeners, it's it's a lot less than they've tried for these big games. So we just kept the pace up. We didn't do a lot of like avoidance and things like that. It was just like let's let's play play for the scenario and let's go in and let's have a fight and see what happens. But also we we basically when we were declaring special strikes, we just declared this is how we declared it. I'll take the best options and we just rolled our dice. And then like you discuss what the best option is afterwards because it usually is unfortunately really obvious and and i'm david's a maths person i'm a maths person kylie knows the game inside out so we just all knew what was the best option and the best option was usually to maintain one high fight guy and everyone else goes really aggressive or if you're not losing it you don't so that was pretty easy Um, a lot of them had the same types of weapons i hadn't modeled anything for advantage so there was lots of swords and not many axes and things but that kept the speed up as well. So we just kept the pace up. And there was lots of big models, Dane, Grandal, Gundabad, Trolls, that took up a lot of the points. So the game itself didn't play that slowly. It's like I, I really enjoyed it. There was around 100 models on each side. I think Evil had slightly less, Good had slightly more. But it did play really well. It looked really good and it flowed really well. And we're, we're probably going to do a Palinor Fields version of it that's not just pure Mumak heavy in the lead up to the box set coming out because I think it was really good fun I, I enjoyed it it looked really good uh, it didn't matter who won or lost like we I teased Kylie throughout about how well she was rolling but that was just a bit of fun because I wanted the good side uh, sorry I wanted the evil side to come back a little bit they were they were getting beaten but even then they still got to do lots of fun things um it's <laughs> Bog ended up on nine kills including four of them from killing the chariot all the crew um he caught a heroic combat off the chariot killed it in the last ditch effort um, was only on nine kills though, so that's the closest I've ever got with Bolg to getting that battle. If he can't get it at two thousand two hundred fifty points, I don't know when he's going to get it. It's a, oh, such a hard task to get those ten kills, but it was a really fun game, really enjoyable. Thank you, Kylie, David, Nick for playing that, um, and yeah, I'll do some more of that. That was it was good. It was good fun. Definitely worth doing, and it's it's sort of good just to put down and say I'm going to put down my whole collection. And I know that. L- like lots of other games didn't encourage that. And it wasn't my whole collection, of course. I've got heaps more than that. But to be able to, to pick a battle and just say, let's take everything I own that could have been in this battle was so much fun. So definitely good. Can't wait to get my Goblin Merc Warbands done and add more to it next time. Okay, now I'll do the listener questions that aren't army lists, and then I'll finish up with the army list. So that will take the episode to a close. Moderate length episode, which I, I actually don't care about the length of episodes anymore. Some of them are really long, some of them aren't. But it's good to get some of this stuff out as much as I can. Okay, uh, Kale asked me for basically everything I've already covered so far, but also in addition some speculation, because he likes speculation, about the new rules. Okay, here's some speculation. I don't usually do this because I know nothing about it, but I'm going to say... I've heard rumors there's new heroics, so I'm going to guess one. My guess is there'll be something to do with increasing the range of shooting weapons. So a heroic, you throw a point of might and you increase the range of your shooting weapons by 50%. So if you really need to shoot something far away, you spend your point of might. Uh, Aragorn calls it, spends it with the rangers. They go and they gun down something that's just out of range. So that's my thought, a heroic range shooting type one. I don't know what it's going to be called, heroic volley or whatever. So 
that's my speculation there. And I'm going to say that they're going to change priority to allow you to choose to go second. There's two speculations. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but there's something to do. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it because, of course, most of the stuff I say will be wrong. Um, what I could do is just record all this now and then like edit out all the stuff that was wrong and just keep the stuff that was right and talk about how good a predictor I am. But there's there's two. There's two on record. We'll see if any of them are true. Okay. Douglas asks, I'd love to hear about more building lists around max warbands versus micro warbands. We typically have been using max warbands and low, the idea of micro, micro warbands, so small warbands, looks intimidating. You just get swamped. Yeah, they are. They are. It's not something that's caught on really in our area either, Douglas. I know that Danny won Masters with it one year, and what he did was base it around the incredible Urukai captains and named captains, and then take basically two very useful troops, some banner bearers, some feral Urukai, some stuff like that in the warband, and was just able to, to have a wall of 10 heroes that was able to, to basically beat anyone's. Um, initial contact wall. I'm not going to say shield wall because it's just sort of that initial contact wall. They had enough might that they could heroic in places, they could strike in places, they could do whatever they liked. They they had weapons that could go two-handed or could pierce or whatever. Uh, very impressive models. If you're going to do it, there's we have a lot of use for, for small warbands in terms of manipulating deployment. So a hero that doesn't mind being far away with a couple friends is usually a good way of doing it. If you want to go a full micro warband army, you're basically going a hero army with some helpers. That's basically what it is. So think about pretty much moderately or low-cost heroes. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea to put them on horses, but you could have them on foot as well like like Danny did. And then get a lot of them, make sure they have some decent fight there and that they can win fights on their own. And then get some some models that aren't going to hinder them too much. Uh, I do like it for things like Mirkwood Elves. I think Mirkwood Elves with a captain and a couple of Mirkwood Elves is a great warband. So you can definitely mix them in. What I'll recommend is, let's say instead of you, you say you play three three max warbands, have a go at trying two full warbands and then two tiny warbands and see how, see how it plays. And you might get some use out of it. We don't max out all the warbands, but troops are so useful. I guess that's my talk on now at the moment. It's not something that we use a huge amount, but Sometimes you get little small warbands for specific jobs. A little archery warband's good as well. It can sit on objectives. It can bait people and, and still be useful, but not commit a whole army. Okay. Michael asked, I uh, seen me convert a goblin a couple months ago, a metal Moro goblin of a mace thingy from the Goblin Town set. Uh, it looked amazing, but we never saw any more. Why didn't we see any more of your Moria? It wasn't my Moria. That was a supposed to be a goblin merc for my battle company's warband. It never got used because he didn't show up, I don't believe. But I used him just in case I recruited one. I have a Moria army. I don't play my Moria army a lot because I've played it a lot of times in the past. It doesn't have any real new challenges for me. It's a strong list, but it's a pretty predictable list in how it goes. So I don't play it a whole lot. I've got a lot of metal goblins. And I've got a lot of the plastic ones as well. And the plastic ones aren't the best models in the world. Um, I did rush paint about 100 of them in like two or three days for a tournament once. So uh, I'm sort of a bit over those. Michael also asked for a list, which I'll do later on. Okay. Thomas says the pros and cons of selling one army to buy another one. Tragedy, but needs must. Okay. Um, I've sold models in the past. Sometimes I regret it. Sometimes I don't. I've basically said for my Lord of the Rings and Hobbit stuff that I'm just not selling anything. So uh, I have I've sold other game systems because I'm just just don't have the time to play it, and I don't I've, I sort of never regret it once I've sold it. Um, and you invest the money to something else, and you never get full value out of it. Or sometimes you do. Sometimes you get more than it's worth. Um, I, I sold a metal dragon for uh, Warmaster and got a got a Nine Hills chariot with it. So that was a good sale. 
that little Temuel dragon, and it was a rare enough model that I was able to get the money for that. But um, in terms of like a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings army, I would only consider doing that if you legitimately can't see yourself playing it again. So if you really just don't like the army, you don't play the scenarios, it's surplus to your needs, you think someone else will get more use out of it, then go for it. But if you suspect you might want to come back to it, I would I would hold back. I would just hold back and needs much. You don't never need a new army, I guess. So you you want a new army? There'll be times when you have the money for it, and you're able to do it, or, or this becomes a deal available. So I would hold off if possible, unless you really just didn't like the army straight out. I've had some local players like sell off some incredible Gundabad armies and things like that to get like a Merkwood army, and I understand that it's a costly army, so you have to you got limited finances, but oh, just keeping that army would have been good as well. <laughs> Nick, from, from who's been on the podcast before, maybe once or twice, who's a part of our gaming group, says, how good are maps? He's still buzzing from the Silmarilli event where we had map-based campaign. It was fantastic. It was really good to tell the story. So I agree with you, Nick. Maps are fantastic. I probably don't love them as much, but it was good to interact with the Middle Earth during our games and have them mean something. And for me, that made it not feel like a tournament, which I liked. I don't necessarily like that whole, like, all-in competitive nature. I'm reasonably good at it, as you've probably heard before. But I would prefer to play a scenario any day of the week. Absolutely. I would have happily, even after four wins of Masters, if someone said, instead of the last two rounds, let's play a scenario and cancel the prizes, I probably would have done that. So, yeah, I actually love the map. Oh, Henry says, how awesome Battle Company is as a tournament and how everyone should go in early December for a one-day optional second-day thousand-point tournament. Thousand-point tournaments, Henry. Ooh, okay. I thought it was 500. So, yeah, Battle Harden is awesome. Henry, you... you have only just started running tournaments and you've done a really good job of it. So please keep going. We we do enjoy that. So I'm looking forward to it. I might, I don't think I've won a battle hardened one. So I might have to have a go at that. Maybe I have, I can't remember. But yeah, a thousand points should be, give me something interesting. Hmm. Maybe, maybe there's enough Dole Amaroth out by then that I can put that together. So yeah, if you're in Melbourne in December, go to Henry's tournament, go to battle hardened, check out the Australian uh, Middle Earth community, strategy battle game community website for more details about that. I don't usually advertise tournaments, but I'll make an exception for Henry because uh, maybe it will, will help me win a game against him for once. So Michael also asked for a 600-point tournament Moria list without Black Shields and Moria Shamans. Okay. Oh, you may, however, include up to four Black Shield Shamans, just not the regular ones, nor Ashrak. I don't think Fury is good tournament-wise with many rapes around. Okay, then look, that's fair enough. I'm not going to bother with the Black Shield Shaman. I know that the Tremor thing's fun, but up to four Black Shield Shamans, I'm going to put zero in. I'm just going to go for a very basic combat-y goblin list. So I've gone for a list that's a little bit down on points. It's only 595 points, so you've got five points to spare. Uh, I'll tell you what you can do with those later on, but you might not even need them. It's got... The four heroes, so I've gone for Durbus, the Goblin King of Moria. I've gone for Groblog, even though I don't have the Shaman boost, he's still got a good fighter, he's got some might. I've got a Moria Goblin Captain with Shield, and a Moria Goblin Captain with Bow. So four heroes at 600 points should be enough. Durbus' warband is just six Goblins with Shield, six Goblins with Spear. The other next two warbands, so Groblog and the Captain with Shield, have six with Shield, five with Spear, which is normal Goblins. And then they've each got a cave troll with a troll chain. Now, you've got some spare points. I said there's five points spare, so you can give any of those goblins an extra weapon if you want, or you can give the troll a spear if you have that model. And finally, our goblin captain with bow is leading 12 goblins with bow. This is still another combat warband, but it can draw the enemy towards them. 
Um, I imagine it's the one that's probably going to do things like call the marches and, and that sort of stuff. So the idea is that the two trolls go on the side and take opportunistic hurls if they have to, basically scare the opponent into coming to the middle, and you just overwhelm them with your 52 units at 600 points. So just a huge amount of models, nothing fancy about this army, old school goblin army, scary to play, don't be afraid to march with it, get into combat. Uh, it's not a shooting army. Yes, it's got bows. It case they don't have any shooting at all like you fight against my um gun to bad list you might want to kill a couple of berserkers but just go at it uh let the trolls hang around the captains call some heroic combats if you want do some barging do some hurling just have some fun justin has asked for an effective minutes morgul army list with black numenorans inspectors featured in it featured so they're going to be basically the main part of this list what I've gone for here at 700 points it was 700 wasn't it let's just double check that yes 700 points or so no Definitely doing 700. I've gone for my favorite wraith that feels like a Minas Morgul wraith. Um, not the Undying. I've gone for the Dark Marshal. So this is the one that has the better fight and the banner effect. On a fell beast, of course, because that is just makes him fantastic. He's your combat wraith, so he needs to fight combat. He's got the fight six, so he can take on other ones. He's got the fell beast, he can get where he wants to be. He's just a great model. He's leading four Morgul knights and four Spectres. So I figure if you're going to go Spectres as a feature, you've got to take a few of them. So we've taken four Spectres and four Morgul Knights. Morgul Knights are fantastic. I would fit more in if I could, but I've, I'll have i show you what the rest of the army has. Then I have two identical maximum size warbands. The first one is... Well, the first one. They're both the same. A Black Numenorian Marshal with Armored Horse Shield Lance. So the full combat... Black Numenorian Marshal. So we've got two of those, which is, is essentially a box of six Morgul Knights. It's two of them into Captains. And then we've got uh, six Black Numenorians in each of them, and then backed up by six Moranon Orcs with Spear and Shield. So I've gone for the full Defense 6, because what we don't want is, in this list, people can just pick on, if you put Orc Spear in the back, which is very cost-effective, the opponent will just jump around your back and pick on them. You don't have a lot of uh, ground coverage in this army, and you're not always going to be fighting as a Shield Wall. So you're going to be relying on your Terror to break up the army a bit, and you're going to be relying on the incredible tough toughness of the Black Numenorian, backed up by the Strength 4 of the, the Moran and Orcs. They're a really good combination together. So I thought, it's an elite army. It's very elite for an evil army. We've only got 33 models, but you've got an incredible powerful Wraith. You've got Spectres moving things around. You're almost an avoidance combat army where you want to fight a small amount of combat each turn. There's no banner in the list because the Dark Marshal does that. Uh, the it's, it's hard hitting. Black Numenorian Marshals, Dark Marshal, Morgul Knights is your hitting power, Spectres to steal things. Um, if there's something nasty that comes up against you, you just bring it together with, down with the Spectre of the Dark Marshal and then charge everything into it. Uh, you can break up lines. It, it's a scary list. It's pretty resistant to shooting and then everything is pretty high defense. I don't think there's anything that's really low. Spectres are defense 5, but they should be right at the back dancing around. And even then, their blades going against the ca um, low courage is good as well so i think it's a pretty decent army is it 33 models no i think it's more than that so we've got two warbands of 13 is 26 plus 9 is going to be 35 35 35 is okay but it is on the elite side um following my form of 20 points it's right on the borderline but for an evil army you often want uh, more models but i don't like i don't mind the idea of an elite army with this sort of loadout uh i've definitely gone for optimized sort of stuff so the black numenorans are really good the Black Numenorian Marshals are really good. I haven't gone for a mouth of sound because I'm not convinced he's as good. So that's my list 
I hope you enjoy it, Justin. I'm actually going to, I'm definitely going to run this. I always say that every time I make a list with this, I like making these Minus Morgul lists. I, I keep going for the Morgul Knights because it says Morgul in there. Spectres are good. Black Luminorians. I don't particularly like the models, but I think I think they can look okay if done well. So, And I, I love the Dark Marshal. So good army list. And Numeran and Orcs. You can get them in the box set if you want. Ooh, just got a last minute question. Um, Levi or Levy, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it, has asked, what are my favorite models in the entire line? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I've mentioned Thrandall before is absolutely fantastic. So that's that's an easy choice there. Um, I'm going to split up into Forge World and Games Workshop main lines because I feel like the Forge World lines are better overall. Um, in the Forge World lines, I am a massive fan of the Gundamad Troll. It's, it's legitimately a good model. It's so good. So I really like that model. I specifically like the, the actual... I like the club one, but I like the head of the scythe one. So my favorite one... Well, I, I like I like both variants of it, but it's just a fantastic model. So I love the Gundabad Troll from the Forgeord line. From the Lord of the Rings line, I really like uh, some of the actual old characters. There's some fabulous Aragorns. So... I like um, just the old Ranger Aragorn. It's just, just a solid model. It's a, a really nice one. I love the breaking of the Fellowship um, set. So the Hobbits from that set were really nice. They looked a bit goofy when I first saw them running, but I, they've really grown on me, so I quite like those models. There's there's some of them that just have stood the test of time as well. So things like the old Galadriel model, the one that's just standing over her arm, I really like that one, even though it's just really simple. I quite like that model. I'm really partial to the metal orcs. Love those metal orcs. And it's probably because they, they are just so much better than the plastic ones. They're probably not the best models, but I just really like them. So I, I guess you understand what I'm saying there. They, they just, they're, they're, I really fond of them. Quite like them. Uh, so that's that's my choice for the main range as well. Ask me on another day, you'll get another one. There are so many good models. Don't ask me what ones I don't like because it's, it's a bit mean to those ones. So let's just concentrate on the ones I like. And one more army list. So final thing, we've got a Mirkwood army for 750 points. Battle Under the Trees, I think it is. Uh, so that's a War of the Ring battle with Thranduil on Elk leading the way. Um, I've just gone for an army list at 750 that I would like to play with Mirkwood that I think really represents the, the Mirkwood elves nicely. Um, it does have some, some a bit strange story to it. So I'll, I'll just go through the units and we'll talk about that. It's exactly on 750, so it's tournament optimized. I've gone for Thranduil on Elk, leading four Merkled Cav with Shield and two Merkled Cavalry. These are the exact models that I have at the moment, so I'm basically going to run this army. This is an army that I've looked at and thought, ooh, at 750, this would be a pretty army to use. If I was going to a 750-point event overseas, perhaps in the UK, I would consider taking this army list just for the fun of it as much as anything. I like the palace guard models, so I've gone for my optimum palace guard build, which is six palace guards with spear and shield, and one of them has a banner. So this is a really tough, hard-to-move unit with good fight value and bodyguard and stuff like that. I've got a Mirkwood Captain leading uh, 4-4-4 Mirkwood Elves, so shield, glaive, bow. So just that combination, which is just the, the current box set. I I feel with these army lists, unless I've really got a plan, I should just go for the models that are easier to buy. And that's the way I've, I've done that one. And then I've got my third warband is Tariel of Elf Bow. So she was exiled and she's been welcomed back for some reason. Make up the storyline for that one. If you don't want to do that, just turn it into a, a Mirkwood captain. Uh, sorry, a ranger captain and maybe get another ranger or another elf somewhere. And she is leading six Merkled Rangers. 
So I haven't gone over the top of that. They are they are costly in points, but they're really good for what they do. They can be backed up by the spears from the palace guard, for example. So they work really well with the palace guard inside Thranda's warband, whereas the Merkle captain can basically go on its own. Um, if it is on its own, the palace guard with banner might want to scoot over to it to help it out because Thranda gets to give his banner effect to the cavalry, so they can go off somewhere else as well. Uh, it gives you lots of options. 33 units is elite, but it's elf, so... So why wouldn't you be elite? Um, so it's a, it's a it's a good army. It's got a bit of everything: bit of cavalry, bit of shooting, bit of combat, bit of defense, uh, and it's fun to play. Three three good heroes. Um, probably enough might. You could definitely do with some more, of course. But I think it's a, a pretty good list, and it's one that I would like to try out. So uh, give that a go. Hopefully, hopefully that works, and hopefully it's it's one that's reasonable to get as well. I don't really want to make these Merkwood armies insanely prohibitive to go and purchase so i try to make my list as realistic as possible everything in this list is useful um, everything's fun to play if you don't want to get that much that many merkel cavalry you could easily just swap out two for say three rangers however the points work um, and that will keep your cost down but i think it's a really fun army looks really good i will have it all painted up so i would definitely give it a try and and if it's terrible i'll let you know <laughs> And that's all for the episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully you didn't get too annoyed at my stuff at the start. And hopefully you found something enjoyable in there. It won't be long till I talk again. So hopefully I have some other people. And remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.